welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thank you for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources or to read her blog, visit her website at intheword.com. And now, Michelle. Father God, thank you so much for drawing us together as you have today. And as always, I pray that I would not get in the way of what you plan to teach. I'd pray that the Holy Spirit would lead us into all truth, to the glory of Christ's name alone. It is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. In our last lesson, we began to look at some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit mentioned in the New Testament and how God has placed them within his church for the good of all. Now, our text from Ephesians 4 last week listed five different gifts and showed us that those with the gift of apostleship are sent out from Christ's body to plant churches or to be missionaries with the specific goal of proclaiming the gospel. Christ followers with a prophetic gift have spiritual insights from scripture concerning issues and people that they feel compelled to share with others. The gift of evangelism is key in expanding the kingdom of God. These people feel at ease sharing from the scriptures in a way that leads others to salvation. Christ followers equipped with a pastoral or shepherding gift have a God-given ability to nurture and help others to grow in their faith. And those with the spiritual gift of teaching are able to effectively pass on the truths and doctrines of God's word to others. In this lesson, we're going to be looking at some other gifts of the Holy Spirit that are mentioned in the New Testament, this time in Paul's letter to the church in Rome. We looked at part of this passage very briefly last week. Paul understood how important it is for believers to be guided by humility and love when exercising their spiritual gifts. And that's where he began in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He urged his brothers and sisters in the Lord, in view of God's mercy, they were to offer their bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, as being their true and proper worship. He commanded them and us in verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. The pattern of this world is really one of pride and self-importance, but those who belong to the Lord are no longer to operate in that manner. Our lives are to be completely yielded to him and everything we do is to be done with the intent of pleasing God. We're to live lives that have been transformed by the power of God's word and his spirit. And that transformation includes how we think about ourselves and what we do. He continued in verse 3, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourselves with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. So he draws an interesting parallel here. Just as our biological body is one body, but made up of different parts with different functions, so the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ has many members with distinct functions or roles, and each part works in harmony with the others, keeping his body healthy and effective. Let's think about it this way. A man walking alongside a lake hears a cry for help. He quickly scans the water and locates a drowning person. He dives in, grasps the person and brings them safely to shore. Now, it might seem obvious, but have you really thought about how each part of the man's body had a different but equally important part to play? Ears, eyes, legs, lungs, hands, arms. If any one of those different parts of his body had not done its job, the drowning person would have been lost. Well, the same is true in the body of Christ. We're all vital to God's rescue plan. And when we work together in unity, the Lord can use us for his glory. Paul continued his explanation in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. There can be no pride when we operate in our different gifts because they're all gifts of God's grace. And because they all come from grace, it's not a competition. The particular gift a person is given in no way indicates that they are more deserving or more important than another. Paul's main encouragement is that we use whatever gift we've been given in the service of God with cheerfulness and faith. We studied two of the gifts listed here last week, prophecy and teaching, and so today we're going to look at the other five he mentions, service, encouragement, giving, leadership, and mercy. Before we do, however, I think it's important to remember that we're all called to exercise these particular gifts in some degree. They're just a part of living and loving each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. However, as we said last week, some are specially gifted to minister in these ways, and we are going to look at some examples today. So let's begin with the gift of service or helps, as it's sometimes called in the New Testament. Those with this gift are often first to recognize and meet the physical and practical needs of others with compassion and grace. And they're willing to do it all, from helping a neighbor with daily chores to assisting in the administration of the affairs of the church. 
these individuals are always willing to lend a hand and do even the most routine tasks with a spirit of humility and grace. And you know what? You may never know their names or what they do. They love to work behind the scenes. However, this gift of the Holy Spirit is far from unimportant. Why? The Holy Spirit himself is designated as our helper. An excellent example of someone with the gift of helps is Stephen. We learn of him in Acts chapter 6. The church in Jerusalem was growing so quickly, the leaders were finding it hard to meet the needs of all the people. It came to their attention that certain widows were being overlooked when it came to the distribution of food. And so the leaders of that young church decided that seven men who were known to be full of the spirit and wisdom would be chosen for this responsibility, which would then leave the leaders free to give their attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Some might mistakenly believe that the gift of service or helps is one of the lesser gifts. And yet, can I draw your attention to the qualifications that were determined for this service? These men had to be full of the spirit and wisdom. And later on in that same chapter, Stephen is described as being a man who was full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, a man full of God's grace and power. And yet, he willingly and humbly distributed food to those who needed it. He did also speak out boldly and perform wonders among the people, which ultimately led to his arrest. This humble man who modelled his saviour so well was given the honour of being the first disciple to be martyred for his faith in Christ. In Acts 7. Dear one, never believe that the gift of service is somehow less important than the others, for all of the gifts are given by the Holy Spirit just as He sees fit and can be most powerfully used by Him. Perhaps you're wondering, though, how you would know if you've been given this gift. Well, if you're sensitive to the needs of others, If you're quick to take action to meet those needs, and if doing so brings you great joy, no matter who gets the credit, you may have the gift of service or helps. The next gift Paul mentions is that of encouragement, which is also sometimes called exhortation. Perhaps you or someone you know typically displays a unique ability to help others gain a positive emotional and spiritual perspective on their circumstances. Well, that individual likely has the gift of encouragement. Those with the gift of encouragement are able to identify those in need of it. They are quick to comfort and strengthen others in the midst of their trials. They tend to be good counsellors as well, comfortable in coming alongside others to motivate them to continue in their God-given work. We see this gift in a man who was named Joseph, but whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement. 
We'll pick up his story in Acts chapter 9. Now, you may remember that in Acts 9, we're told the story of Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. He'd seen the risen Christ, repented of his sin, and had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he had begun to preach the gospel there in Damascus. Well, verse 26 of that same chapter tells us what happened when Paul returned to Jerusalem. Verse 26, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Now, I'm sure we can all imagine how concerned the disciples in Jerusalem were when their fiercest persecutor tried to join them. They very likely suspected that this was just a trick and that he'd have them all arrested as soon as they took him in. But Barnabas, prompted by the Holy Spirit, realized Saul's need for help and risked his own life and reputation to visit him. Once he heard Saul's story, he personally introduced him to the other disciples and encouraged them to accept Paul just as Christ had. This would have far-reaching effects for not only was Paul enabled to minister boldly in the name of Jesus in Jerusalem, he and Barnabas would later become ministry partners on Paul's first missionary journey. You know, I often wonder what would have become of Paul if Barnabas hadn't seen his need and helped him to connect with the church leadership in Jerusalem. If you're wondering if you have this gift, ask yourself, do I welcome opportunities to help people who need comfort, encouragement or counselling? Do I love to help others find the strength to continue in their God-given work? Has God ever used me to encourage others to live Christ-like lives? The next gift is one no one really likes to talk much about, the gift of giving. Now, let me just say that nowhere in Scripture does it indicate that only people with the spiritual gift of giving are to support a church or a ministry. From the very beginning, the sharing of material resources has been a part of the sense of unity God wants for his body of believers. So please don't make the error of thinking that this is only a gift for the wealthy. People with this gift, regardless of how much they own, tend to have a strong sense of stewardship. They realize that everything they have is not their own. It all belongs to God. Consequently, they're more than willing to give generously to worthwhile projects and ministries as directed by the Lord, and they do so without fanfare, often giving secretly so as not to draw attention to themselves. These people experience joy in meeting the needs of others 
through sharing their possessions. And they're cheerful about giving. They give generously. In the New Testament church, we learn of a woman by the name of Dorcas in Acts chapter 9, verse 36 to 43. It says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name is Dorcas. She was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time, she became sick and died, and her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa, so when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now, if you know the story, when Peter arrived, he knelt next to her in prayer, and when he turned toward her and commanded Tabitha, get up, she opened her eyes and sat up. But why did the believers send for Peter in the first place? It was because of the widows who were so upset at her loss. Her generosity had sustained so many of them in their hard circumstances. And it wasn't just money she gave them. She had used her time and her abilities to literally clothe them in their need. They had the evidence in hand. You know, when I think about those widows holding up their robes and weeping, I'm reminded that the spiritual gift of giving can take many forms other than mere money. And the Lord has promised that not even a cup of cold water given in his name will go unrewarded. The next gift Paul mentions is the gift of leadership. People with this gift are able to influence others to serve God at their highest potential. They can not only determine where God wants a group to go, they can also help them to get there. There are several characteristics mentioned in scripture of those with the spiritual gift of leadership. First and foremost, they recognize that their position is by the appointment of the Lord and that they are completely under his direction. They understand that they are not absolute rulers, but are themselves subject to the one who is over them all, the Lord Jesus, who is the head of the church. Recognizing this fact prevents the gifted leader from giving way to pride, heavy-handedness, or a sense of entitlement. A wonderful example of the gift of leadership in the New Testament is James, who was head of the Jerusalem church. Though he was a man of considerable authority, he described himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ in a letter that he wrote to the churches that we've come to know as the book of James. James also exhibited another quality of spiritual leadership, the ability to help others think biblically in all matters. We see this in Acts chapter 15, where he led the young church in one of its most crucial decisions at the Jerusalem Council. 
The council was called to deal with the extremely difficult issue of how the church was to relate to Gentiles who were coming to faith in Christ. Barnabas and Paul reported their great success preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, but many believers who were coming to Christ from a Jewish background had begun to question their work. They felt that Gentiles must first become Jews and be circumcised before they were able to accept Christ the Messiah. James listened to all the speakers, then calmly spoke into that tense situation. Quoting from the Old Testament prophet Amos, who had foretold that the Gentiles would also bear God's name, he used his God-given gift of leadership to make the critical decision that they should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who were turning to God. He also instructed the Gentile believers to respect the laws regarding food offered to idols, certain meats and sexual immorality, things that were very important to their Jewish brothers and sisters. James was able to communicate God's vision for the church in such a way that others saw its wisdom and committed to making that vision a reality. So if you're able to make critical decisions when necessary, if you can adapt your guidance to the maturity of those you're working with, if you often have a clear vision or a picture of a better future that has been given by God, and you're able to communicate that vision in such a way that others commit to making it a reality, you may indeed have the spiritual gift of leadership. Our final gift for this lesson is the gift of mercy. We often think of mercy as a feeling or an emotional response, but in the scriptures, it's always accompanied by action. People with this gift are sensitive to the hurts of others, and they have an unusual capacity to understand the feelings of those who are in distress. But it doesn't end there. You see, they will take the time to minister to them, just as Jesus did. A wonderful example of the gift of mercy is again found in the disciple known as Barnabas. And nowhere do we see it more clearly exhibited than in his encounter with his nephew, John Mark. John Mark, like Barnabas, was a well-known figure in the early church. It's believed he acted as Peter's interpreter from time to time, and many scholars believe that John Mark likely wrote the Gospel of Mark. He also accompanied Paul and Barnabas on their first missionary journey in Acts chapter 12, traveling with them as their assistant. On that journey, the Holy Spirit directed them to the city of Sidian Antioch, which was on a high plateau. Getting there required crossing a range of mountains on one of the most difficult roads in the whole Roman Empire, a grueling upward climb infested with bands of cutthroat robbers all along its length. 
And it was at that point that John Mark decided to leave them and return to Jerusalem. Now, we don't know all of the details, but we do know that John Mark's decision to abandon the mission caused a terrible rift between Paul and him, to the extent that when Barnabas later suggested John Mark accompany them on another missionary journey, Paul refused so strongly that he and Barnabas parted ways. Paul considered John Mark and thought, what can he bring to the mission? And, you know, the answer, based on his previous performance, was nothing. But with his gift of mercy, Barnabas considered John Mark and thought, what can this mission do for him? He wanted to see God work in his nephew's life, so he took him under his wing and discipled him as they made their own missionary journey. Apparently, Barnabas' ministry to his nephew bore fruit because Paul later recommended John Mark to the church at Colossae and referred to him as being helpful to me in my ministry in one of his letters to Timothy. The Holy Spirit enabled Barnabas to follow Christ's example of compassion and show mercy to others as it had been shown to him, and it saved his nephew's ministry. Are you sensitive to those who need a hand up, a second chance as it may be? As you help them, are you pointing them to Christ, enabling them to stand stronger in the faith? If any of this resonates with you, perhaps you have the wonderful spiritual gift of mercy. Next week, we will look at the gifts of wisdom, knowledge, faith and discernment, to name a few, and we'll begin to explore some of the issues the church in Corinth was facing in exercising the gifts they had been given. Until then, I hope you'll pray about what you've seen today, asking the Lord for his wisdom and direction as you seek to serve him more. May God bless you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that every good gift comes from you, the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Lord, I thank you so much for all that you've said to our hearts today about the way that you equip individuals in your church. Father, I pray that you'd continue to speak to us and lead us and guide us as to how you've uniquely gifted us and what role we are to play in your body on earth. Lord, I just pray a blessing on each one who hears this message. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. For more of Michelle's resources, visit her website at intheword.com.